But this morning, uh, as we turn our hearts to God's Word, we just want to, uh, uh, as we approach this, this Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, it's just an uh, incredible, uh, for me at least, it's, a, it's kind of an uh, uh, incredible undertaking. <laughs> I mean, uh, some of the books we've been through are, are rather uh, brief, and we just went through third or Second John, and, and I mentioned to you that that's not really a journey, it was more of a day trip. Well, this is truly not even a journey, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a rather long, long, lengthy journey. Uh, uh, period of time that we'll be traveling through this gospel, and obviously we'll be taking some breaks in between as we address different things during the holidays and things like that, or as the Lord leads. But for the most part, I, I want to encourage you um, to start reading through the gospel of Matthew, and it's just good to become familiar with what we're going to uh, be teaching on, and and as we did with Second um, John this morning, I just want to read through the gospel of Matthew just kidding. <laughs> uh, we'd be here. That would be it, you know. Um, but uh, I, I would encourage you to start reading through the Gospel of Matthew as we begin uh, this study. And uh, it's an incredible, incredible time we'll have together. But it's a really extraordinary book. And uh, it's the first of the Gospels, as you obviously know. It's the longest. It's the most Jewish of the Gospels. And it's also the most evangelistic. And in many ways, it's, it's very compelling. Um, nowhere in the Gospel of Matthew does it name its author, um, but it has been ascribed to Matthew from the earliest days of church history, as we know. And uh, for the first three or four centuries, it was the most highly regarded and most often quoted Gospel of the four Gospels. And, and to some people, uh, now as well as then, Matthew is the most important book ever written. They, they really believe that. Uh, obviously, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. It's about our Savior. And that is what each of the Gospels is about. But each, each Gospel's writer has a way of handling the material regarding Jesus' life and his teachings, his, his, uh, his whole ministry, um, in a, their own unique way. They each emphasize a certain kind of a, um, emphasis concerning Christ. And I put some of those in your uh, bulletin outline there, Matthew deals primarily with a uh, Jewish audience, and it's, it's basically the message is Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah and rightful king. And when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see that come up over and over and over again. And from the very beginning of the genealogy, and don't give up, as you start reading the Gospel of Matthew this week, make it at least through the first 17 verses, and then just press on. I know it's a bunch of names, some of them are hard to pronounce and everything, but it has a purpose, and we're going to be sharing about that uh, next week. But Mark, another one of the four Gospels, uh, mainly writes to a Gentile audience, and in particular, one that is of Roman descent. And uh, he, prevent, he presents Jesus as the servant, and Mark is a fascinating book in that it's very fast-moving. Mo There's a lot of things. If you want an action-packed gospel, go to the Gospel of Mark. Um, you constantly hear him say, immediately this, immediately that, immediately, immediately. Everything's just action-packed in the Gospel of Mark. He's writing mainly to a Gentile audience. Luke, on the other hand, is even writing to a broader Gentile audience than Mark. And he presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And then John is basically writing to, uh, commentators tell us, a, a Christian audience. 
talks about the life of the believer, you know, the, the vine and the branches, and all that kind of things are in, in, the, in the Gospel of John. And he presents Jesus as the Son of God. Well, Matthew presents Jesus as the promised Messiah. And all four Gospels tell us about the good news, good about the Gospel. That's, that's what the word new, uh, means. Gospel means good news. And it's basically the good news about the most significant events in all of history, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I kind of put off teaching through one of the Gospels because they're usually the longer books in the New Testament. And uh, uh, so we're, we're going to start this journey uh, together. Uh, Jesus is introduced in, in the, uh, the beginning of the book there in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus Christ, Messiah, the Son of David. And this theme is throughout the whole book. And, uh, you know, you can kind of look at it, the breakdown of it. It talks about Jesus as the coming king in, in verse, or chapters 1 to 4. And then it has the Sermon on the Mount. We all know and probably memorized portions of that, uh, verses five, or chapters 5 to 7. And then it talks about the power of the kingdom in chapters 8 to 10. Um, it talks about Jesus, is, is Jesus really God's good king in, in chapters 11 to 12? And the parables are in chapter 13, the withdrawal of the king in, in chapter 14 to 17, and then the citizens of the king in verses eight, chapters 18 to 20. And then finally, the break with Judaism, uh, the king's final break with Judaism in verses, or chapters 21 to 23, and then the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. As, as we all know about in chapters 24 and 25, and then the king's death and resurrection, chapters 26 to 28. And that's kind of an overall outline of the entire book. And you go to any commentary and find different outlines. But the first section that we're going to look at uh, it begins with a, a genealogy. And it provides that, it proves us that this, this descent of Jesus is not only from David, the greatest of Jewish kings, but also from Abraham. And so we're going to find out about a lot about that next week, the, the father of all Jewish people. And Matthew is one of the, the, the Gospels that kind of bridges between the Old Testament and the New. And so we're going to find a lot of, uh, a lot of Old Testament quotes going on throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And so we see that, and, and we're, going to, we're going to kind of focus in on that next week when we look at um, the first 17 verses there. But Matthew really also contains, even though it's a very Jewish gospel, it, it contains some of the strongest uh, judgments or indictments of the Jewish unbelievers and shows a very strong interest in Gentiles as well, even though it has primarily a Jewish audience in Place. Matthew traces, as I said, Jesus' origin from David to Abraham. And it's a very kind of Jewish beat to the whole book. And you're going to notice also when you read through the genealogy, and we're going to be sharing one message about this, there's four women listed there, which is very unique, being that women weren't very highly thought of in culture at the time. And the unique thing is three of them aren't even Jews, even though it's a very Jewish book. So we're going to be looking at that in the coming weeks. But really, uh, you, you can express Matthew's unique qualities in this way. As the first of the Gospels, Matthew is almost, you think of it as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, it, it really anticipates 
that the Old Testament anticipates that Messiah, and then you realize that Messiah through the Gospel of Matthew. And he's presenting Jesus as this kingly ruler over the new people of God, which is the church. One day I found out, I didn't even realize this, but uh, Matthew is the only gospel that uses the word church. You may have known that. I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of neat. It occurs twice. In 16, 18, chapter, 18, verse, chapter 16, verse 18, and chapter 18, verse 17. Um, the first having to do with Jesus building his church, and the second having to do with church discipline. But Matthew doesn't want us to forget about this Jewish king and savior uh, and he doesn't want us to say, well, it's only for the Jews, but it's for everybody. That's what he wants us to know. And that's kind of the message of uh, the Savior of the world, as, as John said in 4.14. And you stop and you say, well, is it relevant today? In the secular age that we live in today, um, I, I really believe we need to understand that Jesus is truly God's King, and he is our Savior. And uh, we need to hear Christ's call to follow me. And he speaks to that discipleship and, and kind of motivates us to, to follow him as we uh, move on in the study. But the title of the book, Matthew, obviously is named after the author. And that word means gift of the Lord. And it was the other name of Levi, who was a tax collector. That's what he did. And uh, he left everything that he had to follow Christ. We talked about, I think it was... Uh, I don't know if it was Sunday or Wednesday night, but uh, the tax collectors of that day, they were very um, crooked people. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, maybe nothing, I don't know, of the tax collectors today. Who knows? But, um, you know, uh, you know as, as we look at the day and age we live in today, um, you know, the, the tax collectors aren't very thought of very highly either uh, today. Well, they weren't back then either. And uh, Matthew was one of those tax collectors who left everything to follow Christ. He was one of the twelve disciples or apostles, and he, he really uh, you know understood Christ in his own unique way. And that's when he writes this 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 gospel. It's from his perspective. Sometimes people read the gospels and they say, well, they don't all agree. Well, no, they're not going to agree on every little thing because they're telling the same story from different perspectives. It's like if we all saw a traffic accident out here on the corner, and we came in here and we said, well, what did you see? And we went around the room. Probably everybody would see, oh, we saw a traffic accident. We'd all agree to that. What colors the cars were, maybe we'd agree to that. Maybe we wouldn't. You know, if you're colorblind like me, you probably would, wouldn't agree with everybody else. So, you know, in how the accident happened, we would all disagree, but we saw the same thing. And so all those facts put together, when you read the Gospels, you want to kind of look at them in their entirety. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting that in his own list of the twelve in 10.3, Matthew 10.3, he explicitly calls himself a tax collector. He does that on purpose. Shows his humility. Nowhere else is the name Matthew associated with the tax collector. The other evangelists always employ his former name when they're referring to Matthew, uh, the tax collector. They always call him by Levi. They were speaking of a sinful past, but only Matthew um, speaks of his sinful past. And it's kind of a evidence of his own uh, humility. Uh, as far as when it was written, it's kind of up for grabs sometime before uh, AD 70 when the destruction of the temple happened. Uh, you know, some believe it as early as 50 AD. You can kind of do your own study on that. That's, you know, also we know that it was written 
and that we have it in the, the canon of Scripture. Well, we said it's a little bit of a, of a Jewish background. It's a Jewish setting. And it's evident from the very beginning of the book, um, which Matthew traces back only as far as Abraham. When you look at the Gospel of Luke, aiming to show that Christ is the Redeemer of all humanity, uh, what he does is he goes all the way back to Adam in his genealogy. But Matthew traces only far as back as Abraham. And Matthew's somewhat narrow purpose is to show that, that Christ is the King and Messiah of Israel. Uh, it's interesting that this Gospel quotes Old Testament prophetic passages 60 times, more than 60 times. And it really emphasizes how Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises that God has given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, promising Messiah, promising Messiah, and all of a sudden we get to the book of Matthew, and here's your Messiah. And uh, the audience was primarily Jewish. And we know that basically because Matthew usually cites Jewish customs without explaining it. The other Gospels, when they, they come across a Jewish custom, they'll explain it. But not Matthew. Um, he contrasts Christ, he constantly refers to Christ as the son of who? Of David. Matthew even regards Jewish sensitivities about speaking the name of God by referring to the kingdom of heaven when the other evangelists speak of the kingdom of God. So he has a sensitivity toward their, his own culture there. All the books, major themes are rooted in the Old Testament and set in light of Israel's messianic expectations that, that, that they're looking forward to. Um, some people believe that when he used Greek to write the book, he was, he was writing as a Palestinian Jew to Hellenistic Jews somewhere else. So it was the common language of the day. He wrote as an eyewitness of many of the events he described, giving first-hand testimony about the words and about the works of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, his purpose is clear. It's to demonstrate that Jesus is the Jewish nation's long-awaited Messiah King. And so he really wants us to understand that. Um, and it's never out of focus. As you read through the book, that's always what he's coming back to. Well, what are some of the key people here in the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to run across you have Jesus, obviously, the promised Messiah, the King of the Jews. You also have Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. We're going to do a little uh, look at Mary probably next week or, or the week after as we go through the genealogies because she's one of the women that are named there. And today we want to have a clear understanding, well, who was Mary? Was Mary the mother of God or was Mary the mother of Jesus? Is she to be worshipped? Is she to be lifted up and exalted? And we're going to find out some things that certain religions teach about Mary. Uh, Joseph, on the other hand, was the husband of Mary, the descendant of David. And he really carried this royal line to Jesus. Um, John the Baptist was this prophet and forerunner who announced the coming of Christ. We're going to run across him. And then, obviously, you have the 12 uh, disciples there, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot. And these are the 12 uh, men who were chosen to aid Jesus in his ministry. And then we're going to come across some religious leaders of the day, which is kind of interesting. And it's, it, it puts two groups together. You have one group, the Pharisees, and one group, the Sadducees. 
And usually, they, were, they weren't really in agreement on a lot of things, but they agreed on one thing in the Gospel of Matthew. They both hated Jesus and his ministry and his work. And uh, they were raised up against him. We're going to come across Caiaphas, the high priest and leader of the Sadducees, who basically he was the one who held the illegal trial that led to Jesus' death. Uh, Pilate, uh, the Roman governor who ordered the crucifixion of Jesus in place of Barabbas. You remember that. We read that story every Resurrection Sunday. We'll talk about that. We're going to come across Mary Magdalene, a devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, first person to see Jesus after his resurrection was a woman. Interesting. Well, since Matthew is, is concerned with setting forth Jesus as the Messiah, okay, he, he really, this interest in the Old Testament runs through the entire gospel. And uh, the, the, just the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, occurs 32 times in the book. But you know what? It's not found anywhere else in Scripture. Interesting. The open genealogy is designed to document Christ's credentials as Israel's king. And the rest of the book kind of completes that whole theme. Matthew shows that Christ is the heir of the kingly line. Because that's what Matthew is presenting him as, as king. He demonstrates that he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies regarding the king who would come. It, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew contains five discourses and you know five kind of uh, addresses, you might say. And one of those is in chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's very familiar to a lot of us. Um, also, the commissioning of the apostles in chapter 10. The parables of the kingdom. It's interesting that, that uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew contains all these parables in chapter uh, 13 and, and the discourse of, of childlikeness of the believer in chapter 18. And then also the second coming is covered in verses 24 and 25. And you know that each discourse ends because that little phrase that I wrote in the notes, when Jesus had ended these sayings, you can track it down and you can actually, every time you see that, that's a new discourse. Each discourse ends with that phrase. And it kind of becomes a, a pattern that you can kind of break the book up. But it, it starts with a long opening section. The opening section to the Gospel of Matthew basically is the first four chapters. But it only has a short conclusion at the end of the book, calling farewell. It's just very simple. When Jesus came and spoke to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and baptize Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the conclusion. But it's got a long introductory section. And it, the, the in-between part basically divides into those five sections that we talked about. Um, the conflict that we see between Christ and the Pharisees is another theme that we're going to run across here in the Gospel of Matthew as we go through this study. Um, and, and Matthew is quick to show that the Pharisees are in error for the benefit of his Jewish audience. He wants them to understand that the, the Pharisaical teachings of the day were not the way to go. And uh, he doesn't want to build himself up, but he, he wants to do that for the benefit of his audience. Um, Matthew, for example, he omits the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Even though that parable would have put him in a favorable light. He omits it. 
Matthew also mentions the Sadducees more than any of the other Gospels. Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees are regularly portrayed as negative. And they're, they're kind of held up as warning beacons. Beware of this. Don't become like these people. Uh, they're usually at odds, like I said, against another, but they were united in their hatred of Christ. Um, they really, to Matthew, they kind of represent all who reject Christ as Christ became. And it's interesting that throughout the Gospel, the rejection of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the King, is another constant theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew. You see it over and over and over again. In no other Gospel, gospel are the attacks against Jesus portrayed as strongly as in the Gospel of Matthew. From the flight into Egypt to the scene of the cross, Matthew paints a more vivid portrayal of Christ's rejection than any other of the, uh, the, the, the Gospels. Matter of fact, if you think about in Matthew's account of the crucifixion, for example, there's no thief that repents. And there's no friend or loved ones who are seen at the foot of the cross. Why? Because this is on the rejection of Christ. In death, he is forsaken even by God, 2746 says. The shadow of rejection is never lifted from the story. There's no good ending here. And yet, you know, the, 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 the Matthew portrays him as this victorious king who one day will return on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's an interesting gospel in that it, it covers a lot of different topics and different parables and things like that, and we're, we'll, be, we'll be getting into that. Uh, one of those things I wrote down, there's some key words to kind of look out for. Jesus, obviously, means the Lord shall save. Christ, the anointed one. Blessed, we see that a lot in the, the Sermon Mount, which means fortunate or happy. And uh, you can read through that and, and uh, be, be touched by the Scriptures there. And then also the phrase, the Kingdom of Heaven, is very evident there. But overall, the theme, if you wanted to come up with one theme for the Gospel of Matthew, it would be Jesus is the Messiah King. And it's, it's so important today, in the day and age we live at, in that we understand that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. As a matter of fact, one commentator says if somebody rises up and tries to claim to be Messiah, there's no way that they could prove it. Because it's already in Scripture that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They would have to change history in order to do that. We also see God's character throughout the, the Gospel of Matthew. That God's character is good. That God's character is holy. He's long-suffering. He's perfect. He's powerful. He's, he's provident. He's unequaled. unified. He's wise. He's wrathful. We see all those elements of, of, of God's character wrapped up into the Gospel of Matthew. Now, sometimes people have a problem with the different Gospels and, you know... Um, why they don't line up perfectly. You just have to understand that Matthew presents more of a topical or, or theme-oriented approach to the life of Christ. He's not just chronologically listing these things out. He's doing it more in a theme way. Whereas some of the other Gospels, uh, Mark and, and Luke, uh, basically they follow a more strict chronological order to things. 
And so when you're reading through the Gospels and you say, oh, wow, I think I found an error. You know, this one says this and this one says that. It's not that. It's just a different perspective and it's written in a different way. And we really have to believe, beloved, that this is God's Word. And if it's God's Word, He's perfectly able to kind of protect that and preserve it over the period of time. But it's interesting to me that when he starts off the book in verse 1, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus Christ basically means the Lord is salvation. Jesus is salvation. He's the anointed one. And you ask, is that relevant for us today? Sure it is. We all need a Savior. We all need to be cleansed of our sin in some way. We're going to be celebrating communion here in a few moments. And when we do, we, we do that because it's, it's a celebration of the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. It's not just something we do on a monthly basis just to do it. You know, that's why on Communion Sunday, maybe we'll sing some songs uh, oriented with the blood of Christ or whatever. I mean, you know what? There's a lot of, of churches today that, that wouldn't sing a song that talked about the blood of Jesus because they would find it offensive. That's just what they, they say. We wouldn't sing about that because it, you know, that, would, that could offend somebody and they may not come back. Well, we're not so much worried about offending somebody. We're worried about offending God. And when you take the blood and you take Christ and you take hell and you take repentance and all these things out of the gospel message, that offends God. And we don't ever want to do that. Because that's not what the gospel message is about. The gospel message is about that we're all in need of Christ the King. We all need the Savior. We all need to repent and come to Christ and, 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 and bow our knee. Because He is rightfully the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, as we get into the holiday time, celebrate the birth of Christ, and basically that's kind of a secular thing. I understand that, but we do it. And we're going to be getting into the, the birth of Christ in, in a few weeks and, and talking about the people involved. You know, was it just, you know, this, this story, we become so complacent with the, the birth of Jesus Christ that, that we begin to just kind of, you know, we hear it, we hear the Christmas story every Christmas. Somebody reads and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we want to kind of take a little deeper look at it as we get into that section. Who were these wise men who visited? Uh, you know, what about Herod and, and, and all this? They had to leave Egypt and all. I mean, can you imagine, you know, the, the, the terror in, in their hearts, really, as, as they underwent all this stuff? I'm reading a book right now called, uh, John actually loaned it to me, called Saddam's Secrets. It's written by a general, I think he's a general, over there in the Iraqi uh, Air Force. He's a pilot and uh, he's a believer. I think he was a Syrian Christian. And he writes uh, all about what was going on um, when they invaded Kuwait. And all, he writes all about the whole regime, basically. But it's a good little book. And, and um, one thing I was reading on the plane yesterday is how when they invaded Kuwait, they, their whole purpose was to inflict terror into the hearts of people. They just didn't want that. They wanted to actually kill and rape and murder and destroy these people. That's what their goal was. And Saddam set them up to do that. And, you know, today we, we live in a, in, a, in a day and age where, you know what, that still goes on. And so we kind of want to understand, what, what was it like when they, you lived back there? You know, was it just like, oh, we've got to leave, you know, and go into Egypt because this guy's killing kids and we don't want our kid to get killed? No, there's a lot more to that. 
and you also see the providence of God over the whole thing. And uh, it's just kind of a kind of an important perspective. And then as you get into uh, chapter three and John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus, we talked about last week um, a little bit about baptism. And, and uh, Suzanne and Carolyn came and were baptized in the waters of baptism, and, and kind of be looking at that. And then we look at in chapter four the, the temptation of Christ, and uh, then you get into the, the beatitudes and all that. But you know the, the neat thing is is that. The message of, of Matthew is relevant to all of us because we all need a Savior. We all have, have sinned in some way and we need to come before God and, and kind of bow our, our knee before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He is more than, than able and willing to forgive us those sins. It's not something that you do to earn God's favor. It's basically acknowledging who God is. That's the key to it. So I know this is just kind of introductory material today, but I want, to, I want you just to take away the point that, you know what, Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And if you don't believe me and you say, well, you're sitting there this morning as a skeptic, I, I challenge you to check it out. I really do. Start reading through the Gospel of Matthew with us as we begin this journey together. And we'll see God kind of unfold um, his truth before us. And next week we're going to be looking just so you know the first 17 verses. And I'm going to be sharing some things from that. So you can kind of read ahead there. And you might want to read a little beyond that because uh, it's just a bunch of names. matter of fact, that's the, the, the message next week. Is it just a list of names? Well, I think there's some more to it than that. But as we prepare our hearts for communion time this morning, and as we just you know begin to um, uh, focus in on, on our communion time, uh, we have a couple songs we're going to sing, and, and we'll do that. And, but I really want you to be praying about um, the aspect of sharing something. I mentioned it earlier. And it doesn't have to be something, you know, profound. It doesn't have to be some great speech or anything. Just, you know, something, because this is the way the body is built up, beloved. You know, it, it's, it's the way that, you know, you can, you can build me up. I mean, to, to hear you kind of stand up and say, wow, this verse really meant something to me or, or you know, God has worked in my life this way or, you know, that encourages us as elders and, and to see that God is active and working in our midst. So we would encourage you to, to participate in that time together. And uh, let's have the worship team come and we're going to just sing a couple songs to prepare our hearts for our communion time this morning. <laughs>